Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. I am glad that you are able to be here today. We have some folks out. They couldn't be here today. Some are sick, and I'm glad they chose not to be here when they're sick. Uh, That's a good call, Uh, and hopefully they're able to tune in online. So, uh, you are just a little bit hypocritical. Uh, That's kind of a weird picture, isn't it? (laughs) She's got a smiling face, but she's like, uh, has a pouty face and an angry face, and Uh, Sometimes we let the outside not show up what's going on on the inside. Like uh, there, but there's a lot of ways where we're all a little bit hypocritical. Like you want to eat whatever sounds good, without gaining weight or messing up your blood sugar, right? Uh, You want to live long, but but nobody really wants to grow old. You just want to live long youthfully. Uh, You want police officers catching bad guys, but you don't want them pulling you over, do you? We're all just a little bit hypocritical. Uh, You want your tech devices to update and improve without changing anything that you use. And sometimes you expect people to understand your heart when all they can do is listen to your words and watch your behavior. Who's the only one that can see your heart? God can. No one else. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God can see your heart. No one else can. And sometimes we judge other people based on their actions, but we want them to judge us based on our heart. So uh, today we're going to think about the fact that God hates hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy. Wherever it shows up, whenever it shows up, God hates it. He doesn't like it. Now, several weeks ago, I preached on God is is, uh, anti-prejudice, and I almost said God is anti-hypocrisy, but truth is, God just hates it. You see from the screen there, we're going to be in James chapter 3. You can turn your Bibles to James 3, and we'll be reading there in just a moment, but God really hates hypocrisy. One of the things that Jesus did is he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus lived the same way. No matter who he was with, no matter what was going on, Jesus lived the same way. He didn't fake and do things differently. And now I know you behave a little differently when it's just your family. And maybe you dress a little differently when it's just you at home. And, and you know, when I work with the middle schoolers in track on Thursday nights, I'm a little bit crazier when I teach them than I am in here on Sunday morning. And, and that's, that's okay. But your character shouldn't change. Yeah, Dan's in there on Thursday nights. He, and... I usually pick on him at some point, uh, at least two out of three weeks, right? So, although la- the last week I just praised him. The kids didn't know what to do with that. But listen, listen, you should, your character should be the same. 
Years ago, we had a president who behaved very unpresidentially, and people said, well, you should only care about the job that he does and not about all that other stuff. No, actually, God says you care about all that stuff because there should be a consistency and integrity, not in the character sense of integrity, but in the wholeness sense of integrity. It's like you, a car engine. You know, it's great when it's all working, but you get one cylinder misfiring or, or you put one valve in backward. You, there, things are just going to mess up. And it, it has to have integrity. It has to fit together right. And our lives are supposed to be that way. God hates hypocrisy. Let's read from James chapter 3. My brethren, let not, not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. God has higher standards for those who teach his word than those who don't. In fact, our church has higher standards for those who teach the Bible than those who don't. Uh, you can be a volunteer in some places, but you can only be a teacher if you meet certain criteria. And praise God, we have a bunch of really qualified teachers in all the age groups, in our Awana lessons, and all that. A lot of people who love the Lord, want to serve the Lord. And it's okay to have a higher standard for teachers, uh, as long as it's a reasonably higher standard, not ridiculous. But God says, when you're teaching something to someone else, God is expecting you to live up to what you're teaching. Now, that's true for a parent teaching their child how to have good table manners or how to carry on a conversation. That's true for a Bible teacher teaching a Bible class. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, Mark, there's a verse in that says, Mark, the perfect man. And I had a friend named Mark. He always said, see that? The Bible says Mark's the perfect man. No, it's saying you mark that person. You recognize that complete and mature person. But he's saying we're going to stumble. If you never stumble in word, if your words are always exactly right, you never say the wrong thing, then you're perfect, able to bridle the whole body. You have a completeness and you can control your whole body. Because the, the tongue's the hardest part of us to control. If you haven't noticed that yet, you're either not paying attention or you'll figure it out soon. Okay, look at verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Did you ever go to uh, Disney World back where they used to have a killer whale in there? And, and uh, we were in there once and they had a section with signs that said, don't sit here unless you want to get wet because the whale comes up out of the water and then splashes down in. 
And so my dad got us kids at that time, there were only four of us, ended up having two more later, but there were only four of us, and he got us to distract mom so she wouldn't pay any attention to the signs. And then we're all sitting on that front row, and then when the whale started up, we jumped out of the way. We ran out of the way, and this huge wave soaked mom. And we thought it was funny. The cool thing is, mom thought it was funny too, but... You know, uh, all kinds of animals have been tamed. I rode on an elephant when I was a kid. It was, thankfully, a tame one. Uh, all kinds of animals have been tamed. I've always wanted a pet tiger, but the city won't let me, not to mention my wife. So look at verse 8. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. We are created in the image of God. Look at verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the inspiration you gave to James as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words. We thank you for the preservation that kept this for us and the translators who made it so that we can read and understand it. And we pray today that your Holy Spirit would help us to see, to hear, to learn, to understand, to grow. So I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and lives this day, in this place, in Jesus' name, amen. So see the first thing in verse number two, he says, you're going to what? You're going to stumble. You're going to stumble. Some people are klutzier than others. But everybody's going to stumble in this area. As a teacher, verse 1 says you have greater responsibility. And so when a Bible teacher stumbles in sin, it affects more people. It impacts a lot of other people. And some highly prominent biblical teachers have fallen into sin. And it really hurts the cause of Christ. God loves to see your beliefs lived out in your lives. For instance, we care about lost people, right? We want everyone to hear the truth of the gospel message. So what do we do about it? Oh, well, we give money to missions. Great. Are there lost people on the street where you live? Have you ever tried to talk to one of them about the Lord? Have you ever tried to befriend them, to open a dialogue so eventually you can introduce a conversation about the Lord? We care about lost people. It needs to affect our actions. But we're going to struggle to live up to it. We're going to stumble sometimes. And you know, some people, when they make a mistake, feel like it's all over. I have blown it so bad. I can never recover. 
Do you guys remember, well, some of you will, many of you won't, because it's been quite a while. Joe Rubio was an intern here, and uh, my kids called him Bro Joe Rubio, and uh, he's a pastor out in California now, and he's a pastor of a church in Placerville. Kathy and I had the opportunity to be out there and visit with them a couple years ago, and uh, I spoke there on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It, it, was a, it was a great time that we had with them out there. Uh, but Joe Rubio was teaching. At that time, we had a class in here and a class in there, and he was teaching a smaller class in that room with the walls closed, the Sunday school class. And he said something wrong, something that wasn't accurate, something he was teaching from Scripture that he didn't quite study well enough. And so after the lesson... Uh, we had church, and then, uh, but he was the intern. So Monday morning, he came in and met with me, and I reminded him of what he said, and he said, yeah, that's what I said. And so I said, well, turn in your Bible, too, and we turned to a passage because it was from the Gospels, and you have to read all of the, the parallel passages to make sure you get it right, to get the context of the whole Scripture. And he got it wrong, and he felt terrible. So he quit and never, ever taught again. No. He corrected it. And now he's a faithful pastor leading a church of people to follow God's word. Don't quit when you stumble. In fact, you need to understand that to a certain extent, God expects you to stumble. Listen to these words from Psalm 103. In fact, they'll be up here on the screen. And when we get to that last verse, we're going to read it together. Verse 14, we'll all read together. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Read with me. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows who you are. God knows where you came from. God knows everything about you. The amazing thing is, he loves you anyway. And he is okay if you stumble a little bit when you then confess it and try and turn away from it. He expects you to fail sometimes, but he never expects you to be comfortable in your failure. Never. So he expects you to seek his forgiveness, pick yourself back up, serve him again. Kind of like David did in the Old Testament when David sinned against God and David repented and David then started serving God again. That's what we need to do. Second thing that you see here is your mouth will get you into trouble. Your mouth will get you into trouble. I really should have heard a bunch of ladies say amen and point somewhere, you know. Your mouth will get you into trouble. It's not just guys that do this. Ladies do it. I think guys are just especially good at it sometimes. All right, listen. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gave those believers some instruction for how God wants his followers to act toward one another. And I'm going to zip through this list so you can read Ephesians 4 on your own later to, to see it. 
In verse 2, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. He wants us to speak the truth in love, verse 15. To speak truth with their neighbors, verse 25. He wants you to never let corrupt words come out of your mouth, but always seek to build others up and show grace to them. To never slander or quarrel, verses 29 and then 31. And he wants you to be kind and gracious, readily forgiving others, verse 32. In fact, in chapter 5, he instructs them never to say jokes that are inappropriate. Never use jokes or stories that are inappropriate. So your mouth will get you in trouble sometimes. You're going to struggle with it. And then he gives us some imagery to see. Now, <laughs> this week, earlier in the week, Megan was asking me, said, so which direction are you going on the tongue? This way or that way? <laughs> she did it better. You could ask her after church to model it. I just realized that's on the internet now. Great, great. I hope nobody just cuts that snip. But, but listen, he uses some imagery to help us understand the power of the tongue. I know a lady, I met her years ago, and, and I've read some of what she's written, and she had tongue cancer. And so they had to cut out part of her tongue. And then she had tongue cancer again, and they had to cut out more of her tongue. She had to go through speech therapy to learn how to speak with much less of her tongue. But compared to your body weight, your tongue's not significant. Compared to the trouble you get yourself in, your tongue is hugely significant. And the Lord wanted us to have some images of this. So he inspired James to write these words. The first one is, uh, the first image is the rudder of a ship. Now that's, oh, did I get it backward? A horse's bridle, horse's bit. I, I had it backward in my head. Uh, have you ever, any of you gone horseback riding? I, I grew up horseback riding all the time. I haven't done it for years. In fact, the last time I went, I went with Megan and she had to ride with me. We got a huge horse because I was the biggest guy there. And we got on this big horse and Megan got on with me and then she got to ride again by herself on a slightly smaller horse. But you know, you can turn a 1,200 pound horse by pulling that bit and it pulls back and it turns their head and then their body starts going that direction most of the time. Occasionally horses will be stubborn and fight you for it, but, but that bit can turn it. It's just a little piece of metal that sticks in their mouth that makes a huge difference. And then the ship and rudder. Now, this is a big ship, uh, but when in the day it was a sailing ship, the bottom of the screen shows a little rudder from a small sailboat. And, and that little, little piece can steer the ship. I was uh, riding at a sailboat with a friend in Florida, and, and he's got a little um, on the back there, and, and he's holding on to that rudder, and he wants us to turn, so he whips that rudder, the ship turns, he swings the sail, and because we were sailing into a headwind, and, and we sailed all the way across the lake into a headwind by doing this, back and forth and back, and he knew how to tack and do it and swing the beam, and I had to duck. He was shorter than I was, so he didn't have to duck, and, and we just zipped along there, 
And that little rudder changes the direction of the ship. Then he gives another illustration. A small campfire can become a raging forest fire. This picture is from the mountains in Tucson when they were on fire and the houses right next to it. And uh, when I clipped this picture, I, I saved it and I said, uh, this is like the, how close people are to hell. See, now those people in that house, they knew the fire was coming and they were already evacuated. But some people don't realize they're very close to hell, that anything could cause their life to end. Um, I've heard of people dying because airplane engines fell off at 20,000 feet and came down and crashed into their house because uh, gas systems in their house exploded or leaked and killed them because electric fires took the house down, because car accidents, because unsuspected strokes. We don't know when our life will end. We just have to trust the Lord and be prepared. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior so you're ready, so you don't end up in the fires of hell. But just a little campfire. Most of the big raging forest fires are caused by people not handling a campfire. Although one of the worst fires in Arizona history was actually caused by a fireman who was out of work and wanted to start a fire so he could get to work. So he started the fire, it got out of control, and lots of, some people died, and lots of homes and lots of forests were destroyed. So your mouth can cause problems. In fact, he says taming wild beasts is easier than taming your tongue. We have trained all kinds of animals. And that's easier than containing your tongue. Your tongue can even be like a deadly poison. There's that little kid's thing, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Actually, the most hurtful things we experience in life are the things said by other people sometimes by the very people we love the most. They're the ones who can hurt you the most. Have you noticed that? If somebody you don't like says something bad about you, what do you do with it? You just let it go, for the most part. You're supposed to think about it. There might be some truth there. Learn from it. But it's easy to blow it off if it's not somebody that you know and like. But when somebody you love says something hurtful, that really hurts. And your tongue can be like a poison to other people. So he he describes it as something that's really hard to manage. Now, we also see from this passage that you can be a hypocrite. You can be a hypocrite. You don't have to be, but you can be. I want you to see verse 2, he says, if a person can control their tongue, if he does not stumble in word, he's perfect and able to control the whole body. If you can control your tongue, you're going to control every part of your body. But now look down in verse 8. No man can tame the tongue. Nobody can do it. 
Yes, in theory, it's nice that you could control it and everything would be great. But you know what's going to happen? You're going to blow it. Ed, how many years have you and Amanda been married? Sorry, 25? 23. Okay, 23 years. In those 23 years, do you suppose Ed has ever said something to her that he kind of wished he hadn't phrased it that way? Do you suppose she has ever said something to him that she kind of wished she hadn't phrased it that way? Dan and Barbara, how many years have you been married? 63 years. Wow, that's really impressive. 63 years. That's like almost theirs and ours combined. So, uh, you know what's going to happen? You're going to say the wrong thing sometime, someday. <laughs> it's going to happen. You can end up sometimes not just saying the wrong things, but behaving in an inconsistent manner. Now, uh, Richard and I were talking the other day about our dads, and we loved our dads, we appreciated our dads, our dads helped us, they pointed us toward Christ, but our dads also hindered a little bit because um, Richard's dad was a pastor, my dad wasn't a pastor, but he was actually a licensed minister and he served in churches a lot. Uh, very faithfully. In fact, when their church was without a pastor, they appointed my dad to be the executive over the ministries of the church to take care of all the business and finance, oversee that. That Because a pastor serves as pastor of a ministry, but also president of a nonprofit corporation. And so they asked my dad to do the nonprofit corporation side of everything, and they asked the assistant pastor to, to take over the pastoring side of everything while they look for a head pastor. So my dad was a big help in church, and Richard's dad was a big help in church. But our dads were different at church than they were at home. At church, they were a little more patient with people. At church, they were a little more kind with people. And at home, they were a little harsh. And Richard and I were talking about it, and it actually made it hard to view God as a loving Heavenly Father. Because our earthly fathers who were teaching the Bible and communicating God's truth were not showing that love specifically to us. Now, I don't know about Richard. I know I was not a good kid, and I caused my parents lots of grief and lots of difficulties, and I praise God that he changed my life. Uh, Richard might have been a nicer kid than I was, but neither one of us saw a loving father, heavenly father, from our example of our earthly father. That's a little bit hypocritical. The grace you show to people outside your family, you should show to people inside your family. And the grace you show to people inside your family, you should show to other people. I know people that are so kind and gracious to their grandkids. It's amazing. But then if some other kid does that, they'll fuss at them. So we need to be consistent. If your faith does not lead you to show God's love to other people every day, then you need to examine your faith. You need to step up. See, in verse 10, he says that out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Every word you speak is important, and every word can demonstrate your heart for God in that moment. 
And so sometimes a gracious response, even in rebuke, a gracious rebuke can really minister to somebody. There's times parents need to correct their kids. There's times bosses need to correct their employees. There's times sometimes kids need to speak into their parents' life and say, hey, this doesn't line up, this doesn't fit. We need to have the opportunity to be able to speak into people's lives. But we need to make sure that we're doing it with grace, seasoned with salt, that it may minister grace to the hearers. That's the assignment from Scripture. And again, he gives us imagery so that we can understand this. Not just, hey, look at this little tongue that's sticking out of my mouth, but, but the imagery of the horse's bit and the, the uh, rudder to steer the ship and a small fire and what a difference it can make. And so now he gives us the ability to understand when our life doesn't line up, when our words don't line up with our belief, or our actions don't line up with our words, there's problems that come. Look at what he says in verse 11. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can't happen. If you find a spring and it's fresh water, nowadays you can't drink from springs. But back then you could because there wasn't as much corporate toxic waste in the waters. And so nowadays you're not supposed to drink even from a fresh mountain stream. But when I was a kid in Boy Scouts, if you saw the stream coming out of the ground, you could just drink right from it. They don't do that anymore. You need to boil it or treat it with a tablet. But if you get fresh water out of the spring, you're not going to have a sip, oh, that's fresh. Another sip, ooh, that's bitter. Another sip, oh, that's fresh. It can't happen. Then he uses the other illustration. A fig tree bearing olives or a grapevine bearing figs? That would look pretty funny, wouldn't it? But it can't happen. And then he says, thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now, there are places in the world where the water is brackish. It's a mix of fresh and salt water because the tides of the ocean sometimes push some of that salt water up the stream. And so there's parts of the water that's a little bit of a mix, but you don't have it being one or the other. It, it, right there where the water comes into the ocean, it can be mixed up a little bit but you're not going to have a spring of water. You're not going to have a, a lake of water that's going to be fresh on half and salty on half. It's not going to happen. And so we're not supposed to allow that in our lives. We're supposed to try and be consistent. Now, this is a challenge. It's difficult for us. Sometimes when we get upset, we want to just lash out. How many of you have ever experienced opening your mouth and saying something mean that you regretted later on? Anybody? Yeah. A few hands didn't go up. I think they're asleep. No. We have experienced that. And you know, once said, you can't take it back. Sometimes you can get beyond it, but you can't take it back. So you need to try to not be hypocritical. Try and have your speech be honest and gracious and encouraging. There are times we need to correct bad behavior. 
but we can do it in a more gracious way. Number four, the only way to control your tongue is to guard your heart. The only way to control your tongue is to guard your heart. So I want you to look at a couple of passages in Scripture. Uh, Look at Matthew chapter 12. Uh, We're going to look at just one verse there. Um, And then I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4 and we'll look at several Matthew chapter 12 and then Proverbs chapter 4. Okay, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, uh, especially the latter part of that verse, verse 34, it says, How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's rebuking them as a brood of vipers. How can they be an evil speak good things? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The only way you can guard your tongue is to guard your heart. So if you find yourself fussing at your kids too much, maybe you need to spend more time praying for your kids and more time showing love to your kids so that your mouth is not spouting off all the time. Out of the abundance, what's going on in your heart, the churnings, the thinking process. We're not talking, although on the screen, it's like the figurative heart. We're not talking about that thing that's pumping blood through your body. We're talking about that inner core of who you are, your soul, your spirit, your heart, the seat of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's where you control the tongue. Now look in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to go ahead and start reading there. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. (coughs) Excuse me. Keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence. What does diligence look like? Diligence does not look like, oh yeah, whatever. No, you're really focused. Have you ever seen a good guard dog If you're walking around near a good guard dog, what's that dog doing? Watching you all the way. It's looking, it's kept up on you. It'll look away and then it'll look right back at you because it wants to make sure you're not hiding so somebody else can sneak in. That guard dog's alert and we need to be alert. So uh, guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. All the issues, what's going on in your life, the joys, the struggles, the future dreams, it all springs out of the heart. So he says, guard your heart. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Don't allow your mouth to be one way to one person and one way to another person. Be honest and truthful and consistent. Put away a deceitful mouth. Don't make excuses. Create results. Put perverse lips far from you. Don't joke in inappropriate manners. Don't use language that's coarse and inappropriate. 
Put it away from you. Let your eyes look straight before you and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. You need to guard your heart. That's what comes out of your mouth. And so here's what can happen, okay? I'm not going to use people as an illustration. I don't want you to think badly of people, but here's what can happen. Uh, We'll have person A and person B. So person A feels a little frustrated with person B, but they don't deal with it. They don't get it out of their own heart. They don't try and correct it with person B. Then person A feels a little bit more frustrated because something else has happened. And then something else has happened. And now person B does some little itty-bitty little thing. And that itty-bitty little thing, just a tiny little bit annoys person A. And what might person A do? Explode all over them. Why? Because they've been packing the gunpowder down so it can really blow. You have to deal with it on the inside or it's going to spew out on the outside. You can't control your tongue just by biting it. You can't control your tongue just by clenching your teeth. You can't control your tongue unless you first control your heart. It starts right here from the inside of you. Guard your heart. Be careful what you allow into your heart. The movies, the video games, the books, the magazines, uh, the radio or online music that, that you let flow into your head. Now, you are not responsible for all the thoughts in your head. Acts 5 Uh, Peter told Ananias and Sapphira that Satan put thoughts in their head. You're not responsible for every thought that comes in, but you are responsible for what happens to those thoughts once they're in there. You can dismiss them, push them out, redirect your thoughts, or you can dwell on it. You're responsible for the ongoing thinking process in your head. So some of you have zero self-esteem. You feel like you're a failure because you've failed in significant relationships. You're a child of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. You're not a failure. You have just failed. You're only a failure if you stop trying. You get up and try again. I watched in the Olympics, and one of the people who won, I don't remember, pole vault or height jump, high jump, whatever it is, uh, jumping over the bar or pulling over the bar. I don't remember what it was they won, but they almost didn't make it at the opening height. You could choose what height you want to come in on, and that person missed twice at the opening height and then went on to win because they finally got it together. And then they didn't have another miss till right toward the end, but they ended up winning. Don't let your failures convince you that you are a failure. You're a child of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter said, God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. You have what you need to be able to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. So press on. Some people need to forgive themselves. 
Some people need to seek forgiveness from others, but don't just sit there in your failure. We all too easily worry. We obsess over things. We also more easily exaggerate. Have you ever seen the fisherman's rule? The fisherman rule is about this long, but it's marked out that says it's 36 inches long. So when he weighs that measures that fish, he can say, yeah, I caught a fish. It was 18 inches long. <laughs> That's the fisherman's rule. Uh, did you know there's actually something in the church that's called evangelistically speaking. And that means that speakers amplify, they exaggerate, they lie about the number of people who heard them speak or the number of results that they had. Guard your heart. We're too easily justifying our own bad behavior while we're criticizing somebody else for their behavior. The only way to control your tongue is to guard your heart. God hates hypocrisy. He wants your heart and your mouth to line up. God hates hypocrisy. He also forgives it, but he hates it. God loves to see your beliefs lived out in your words and your actions. That's what he wants to see. Now, it starts with trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then it progresses to where you're walking with the Lord. And you're growing, and you're maturing, and you're failing. We're all going to stumble. And then you ask his forgiveness, and you get back up, and you start growing and maturing, and then you're going to fail. And then you ask his forgiveness, and you get back up, and you start growing and maturing. You're never going to be perfect. In heaven, you'll be perfect. On earth, you won't be. The only one who was perfect on earth was Jesus and Adam and Eve for a very limited amount of time. That was it. Since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, everybody has struggled on earth. So don't beat yourself up. But also, don't be content to excuse your behavior. God hates hypocrisy, especially among his people. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.